Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Academia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we have another social media-centric episode. We are speaking with Emily D'Souza, who is a fisheries scientist and a content creator. And she has a really big following on multiple social media platforms. We've been trying to pull this together for quite some time. Some of the topics that we get into include most common questions that she gets from her audience on social media what kind of things we should be sharing more of as an industry and uh, some of the improvements that's, that she's seen within the industry on social media when it comes to her interactions with her followers. So it's a really great episode. I think you're really going to enjoy it. But before we get into it, I want to remind everybody to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen. So every time a new episode comes out, it'll automatically be downloaded right to your device. And follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod if you want to contact the podcast for any reason, sponsorship, you want to be a guest you have topic suggestions, you can do all that on our online forum located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. And the easiest way that you can support the show is by leaving us a rating or review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. That's right. And that's free. So get on it. Please enjoy this conversation that we had with Emily and we will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. We are sitting down today with fishery scientist and content creator Emily D'Souza. How's it going, Emily? Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, good. Thanks for having me. I'm super stoked about this. Yeah, this is uh, an episode that we've been trying to pull together for some time. We've been kind of in contact with you on and off for a little while here. And Maddie has been talking to you the most, actually. And she and Maddie was actually the one that was able to pull this together. So thanks, Maddie. Yes, I am so excited to have Emily on the show because I feel like, Emily, we actually talked years ago on Twitter and I was like, you should come on the podcast. (laughs) And then we just never followed through. So I'm so excited to have you on today. Yeah, I'm stoked to be here. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. That's for sure. I know. I feel like we've all kind of been our paths have crossed in all these different ways. And now we're finally I mean, you know how it is busy when you're in the social and marketing world. And so now finally, all of our schedules have aligned, which is super nice. Yeah. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about and and Maddie is the one that brought this to us, obviously. And so I don't know if this if these are Emily's words and Maddie's words or uh, Maddie, if you came up with this on your own or what, but um, we're going to be talking about why 2023 is the year of what is it? The year of seafood on social? Yes. Um, so we've actually done a, a bunch of social media centric episodes this year already. Um, so this is something that's becoming more and more commonplace. We're starting to see more seafood content on social media. But before we get into all of that, let's learn about you, Emily. What's your story? Where did you come from? How did you end up doing what you're doing? Yeah, it's uh, a little bit of a, a convoluted journey, not quite a straight path, as I feel like it is with the majority of people. Life never goes um quite how you thought it would. But I, uh, I was studying um, at university, actually. And at the time I had started this like little travel and food blog on the side. At the time, I really didn't know what I wanted to do in school. I just knew that I wanted to travel. And so I thought, uh, I'm going to start this travel blog in my dorm room. And that's going to be my escape. That was almost eight years ago now. And uh, within that time period, I decided that I wanted to focus on 
environmental policy was what I ended up studying in my undergrad, um, environmental policy, economics, and uh, supply chains. And then I went on to do a master's um, where I studied small-scale fisheries and direct marketing and supply chain shocks in North America. And while I was in academia, I still had my little travel and food blog on the side and was plucking away at it and uh, really learned a lot about digital marketing and social media influencing. And over the years, my blog sort of transformed. It went from this you know tiny little thing where I just wrote about traveling and food to focusing more on sustainable travel and food as I got more involved in environmental issues. And then um, the food piece really became more and more important to me, I think, as I entered my final years of my undergrad and really decided what it was that I wanted to kind of focus in on the rest of my career, um, which was broadly sustainable food systems. And uh, I was really interested in how seafood would contribute to food security. And it's funny because I always say my career was actually built on my ability to hold a grudge because I um, I actually never had intentions of going to grad school. But at the time I was in my undergrad, I was volunteering for a lot of marine conservation organizations. And uh, there was one in particular who shall not be named because I don't want to get kicked off your podcast just yet. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, there was one in particular who was very adamant that if you wanted to protect the oceans and, you know, save the oceans that you could not eat seafood. It was just not possible. And that if you were eating seafood, you were not a good ocean lover, a good ocean conservationist. And as somebody who has family roots in the Azores Islands off of Portugal, um, to me, like that was just the craziest thing I'd ever heard, to be quite honest with you. Like my family, you know, I grew up eating seafood. We're very dependent on seafood, but we're also very um, passionate stewards of the ocean and of the land because uh, the islands are so isolated that we're very aware that if we do not care for our resources, um, we only stand to suffer. And so, yeah, that that kind of narrative that I experienced in my undergrad is what made me want to go to grad school because I knew in my heart that you could definitely love the ocean and still eat seafood, but I wanted to get the science to back that up. And while I was in grad school, I I kind of went through the last transformation of my uh, of my online presence, or I shouldn't say the last, but the, the most recent transformation of my online presence, which is when I um, overhauled my entire travel and food blog, I renamed it, I rebranded. And uh, Seaside with Emily was born really out of a desire to better communicate the realities of seafood with people. You know, this, this one comment in undergrad was just one example of, I think, how misunderstood seafood is. But while I was in grad school, you know, I would come home and I would tell my friends and family about what I was working on. And I would just hear all kinds of crazy, just like myths and outdated perceptions mm. about seafood. And I was thinking, wow, like there is really a huge knowledge gap here. And I was also very adamant that academia was not the best vehicle for addressing those knowledge gaps. And so I thought, you know what, I've got this platform, I've got this audience, let's use it to talk about seafood. And lucky for me, like it's been incredibly successful. There is a huge appetite for this type of content. I think people are really wanting to engage more with their food systems more broadly, but especially with seafood, because it is out of sight, out of mind for so many people. And mm. so, like I said, so misunderstood and people are really eager to to learn more. So that's kind of the long-winded journey, I suppose, of, of how I ended up here. That is great. And I feel like that gives us a good background for where we are today. And that one thing that I've heard you talk about a little bit this year so far in 2023 is that 
you feel, along with other people, that 2023 is the year that seafood becomes the thing on social media. And we've actually seen that starting to happen, especially on TikTok. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering why, like what signs have pointed you into thinking that? And then also, let's just start with that. What signs have you seen? Yeah, I think right now there's a really big shift happening in our food systems that I think is really, I I would say primarily being driven by young people, but um, definitely like we're seeing this across all demographics, but the strongest in young people where they're, like I said, very, very conscious of where their food is coming from. Um, I think the pandemic helped maybe to catalyze a lot of this with supply chain disruptions and people, you know, suddenly being aware that if you live in Northern Canada, you actually can't get strawberries year round. And, you know, like there are a lot of, um, a lot of convoluted supply chains and, Uh, that go into getting our food to us. And when those supply chains break, uh, we're really faced with these difficult circumstances of, well, what is local and what is around? And, you know, again, really facing this difficult question of where does our food actually come from? I also think the other piece of it is that people are more and more conscious of their environmental footprints now more than ever. I think at this point, you know, it's, it's not really a debate anymore whether or not climate change is real. I think people are, you know, generally have accepted that this is a thing and this is happening and we need to take immediate action um, or we're going to face some pretty significant consequences. And I think this point as well, people are aware that food systems do have a pretty significant impact on our food system or on our, um, on the climate and are trying to find ways that they can minimize their own footprints. And so, you know, we're seeing a lot of people do the, the everyday sort of top of mind things to lower their environmental footprint, you know, driving less, traveling less, walking, etc. Um, but we're seeing them turn more and more to food systems as a way to reduce their environmental impact. And what we're seeing is this really large shift away from mostly red meat, but um, somewhat meat in general, towards other lower impact proteins. And so I think this is really why seafood is having a big moment right now. That's one of the reasons anyway, is people are looking for more environmentally friendly proteins. I think also, again, the pandemic really helped to spur a conversation about uh, about health. And that's you know, what I was going to ask. Do you think the pandemic had an impact on some of these ideas? Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, people really, I think it was, I mean, I'm not going to get into, you know, the pandemic and whatnot, everything that happened, but I think there was a lot of realizations where people, um, people realized that maybe they need to, be responsible for their own health a little bit more than they had initially thought. And I think, of course, nutrition plays a very large role in that. And so people started to look for, okay, how can I take better care of myself through food? What are the healthiest proteins that I can eat? And of course, you have seafood arguably at the top of that list. Um, Yeah, so I think that's another reason. I think also affordability is kind of this like gray area in seafood. There are definitely some seafoods that are super luxurious and premium and not affordable to the average person. Um, But there are also a lot of incredibly affordable seafood options with, you know, tin seafood being one of those big ones, which I think Maddie is one of the ones you're referring to about having a huge moment on TikTok right now, like tin fish are are blowing up right and center. (laughs) Wait, what is tin fish? What? Tin talk. Yeah. We in one of our episodes, we talked about it. No, did you say tin fish date night? Yeah. Yeah. Tin fish date night. That's explain that. Explain that to me. What is that? <laughs> tin that fish is, date night. Essentially, it, it is a trend where people on TikTok are are just sharing videos, snippets of their date night. Some of them, some of them are even doing it as often as weekly, like every Friday night, where they go out to their local 
grocery store or wherever they buy their tins, they pick out like three or four new tins and they set up a little seacoutery board with their tins and all their cheeses and some wines and they have their tin fish date night. And it's really an appealing, again, a, a really appealing, affordable, accessible, healthy, um, like fun date night option that is really, yeah, it's really appealing to specifically, I think, millennials and Gen Z. I mean, we're also like in the midst of crazy food prices and it's very expensive to eat out right now. So people are like, I can have a tin fish date night, have this like luxurious feeling Spanish tapas experience in my living room for like 30 bucks. Count me in. Tin fish date <laughs> night. I'm on the wrong side of TikTok, I guess. Yeah, Sean, I'm surprised that hasn't come this, up on your For You page. I mean, I had no idea that this was a thing. This is all new to me. I know we've been talking about tin fish a lot, but I this whole date night thing <laughs> is completely new to me. That's fascinating. <laughs> Now, so, I'm, now I'm probably, the, my phone probably heard us talking about it. And now that's yes, all I'm going to get. First oh, video you'll see. see. Yep. Yeah, great. <laughs> so I want to hear more about, and our listeners probably want to hear about what you and what Seaside with Emily is doing this year to kind of support this movement of expanding the reach of seafood on social media. So I'd love to hear about like projects you're working on or things you're excited about that that are coming up in 2023 that you can share with our listeners. Yeah, this year I I'm super excited about this year. I mean, I feel like at the start of every year I'm like this is going to be the best year ever and uh <laughs> I mean, I guess that's a good thing to be so optimistic, but I think like I said the trajectory for seafood, in my opinion, especially online, seems to be going up and up. And so this year, I'm really fortunate that uh, a lot of people in the industry as well are really recognizing the power of social media. And it's led to a lot of great uh, partnerships and opportunities. And so this year specifically, I, I mean, I did a lot of this last year as well. Um, but I'm focusing a lot on getting out into the field and taking my audience behind the scenes with me, whether that is to uh, different aquaculture sites, fish farms, oyster farms, whether it's onto fishing vessels or into, you know, even into the back ho- the back of restaurants to show, you know, here's what chefs are doing with uh, underutilized species, but really trying to get away from, you know, during COVID, I did a lot of like sitting down, talking head style videos, explaining, you know, what different eco labels mean and what to look for at the grocery store, which is a very interesting and effective means of content. But now that we are able to get out into the world again, I'm finding that the content that does the best for me is when I can really take my audience behind the scenes and show them like, here's what it looks like on board uh, a trawling vessel. Because for many people, they have maybe like an idea of what a fishing boat looks like in their mind. That's sort of like very, um, I don't know, that like very, I'm trying to think of what the word is that, I, that I'm looking for, but that very like dreamlike like picture of a fishing vessel. And then when they actually see through my TikTok videos, what some of these vessels look like, the diversity in, in size and gear and the types of species that they're catching, they're very fascinated. And I think that's part of the appeal of this type of content is that for, for a lot of people, the ocean is out of sight, out of mind. I mean, if you're if you're living, you know, in the middle of the U.S. or in the middle of Canada, you're not necessarily thinking about the ocean. Maybe you don't necessarily have the direct access to seafood that a lot of people do. And so the ocean is really, I feel like, always had this sense of mystery <laughs> for a lot of people. And still does. To, yeah, it definitely still does. And so being able to, like, show people behind the scenes, I think, is really fascinating. And so I'm actually getting ready to leave literally tomorrow. Um, t- so today has been very, very hectic because despite the fact I travel for a living, I have still not 
figured out how to not be scrambling at the last minute. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a mad dash to get everything packed up today, but I'm actually leaving tomorrow for for three weeks of travel where I'm going to be doing a lot of that behind the scenes content, um, a mixture of like on site on on boats and on farms. And then also, you know, behind the scenes in some of these big seafood conferences where have, you know, where we have direct access to, to some of the big decision makers in the space to answer some like hard hitting questions from consumers that they might not otherwise have the opportunity to ask. So I'm really excited about this year. And are you planning on being at Cena this year? I will be there. Actually, that's one of the most exciting projects that um, I'm working on. Actually, I'm going to be working with. um, Can I? I, Yeah, I think I can say this. (laughs) I uh, I'm going to be working with Seafood Source actually at the Boston Seafood Show to do some on-site social media content. So I will be running around the show with my camera gear and documenting, uh, you know, product demos, talking to some people at the show to really show, again, my audience and my community, like, here is what is happening at the fore. Like, I mean, the Boston Seafood Show is really like the forefront, the pinnacle, I feel like, of uh, the seafood industry. Everybody's there. Everybody's talking about what's new and exciting. And so it'll be a good chance to bring my bring my audience into that and show them like, here are all the cool things and cool people who work in seafood. And like, here's what you can expect from the industry this year. We'll be recording there if you want to uh, stop by and get some live <laughs> If you footage. really want to highlight <laughs> yeah. three of the coolest people in the industry, <laughs> then the booth next to us has some cool people. In it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we'll be there. And actually, I remember I met up with you last year at the mm. Boston Seafood Show, and I was actually on the infamous TikTok page. We weren't doing a tin fish date night, but um, she did. you did record a quick little TikTok at our booth, and I was there. I was. It was the last day, and I felt sick as a dog because something oh, yeah. something made did not agree with my stomach, and I could barely stand up, but I tried to hide it as best I could. And uh and I, uh, I'm very proud to say that I, I was on that channel. So hopefully we can we can redo it when, when I'm feeling well this year. Yeah, one year anniversary of your TikTok debut. There we go. <laughs> Love it. Emily, is your post-production process more challenging or time-consuming when you're not necessarily doing the talking head and, and filming stuff? I, mean, I would assume that the video part of that is a little bit lengthier when you have to match mm-hmm. stuff that you're filming. Justin with... is our video guy, so he's super interested in it. <laughs> I don't oh, have a TikTok okay. account, but yeah, I was just curious. Yeah, and you know what? I uh, I'm super envious that you have that skill set because I've got to say, even though I've been doing this for like nearly eight years, video content is still I like it is still so time consuming to me. Like I have not mastered the art of like quickly editing or anything like that. Um, so like when I'm home, actually, I film a lot of my like cooking videos and some of my talking head style videos with a production mm-hmm. team now because they do all the filming and all the editing. And so it's very nice to be a little bit more hands-off in that regard. So I can just focus on doing the research, writing the scripts, which in itself, sometimes when I'm talking about these very complicated or controversial fishery science topics can be a lot. Um, But yeah, when I'm on the road, it is entirely in my hands. And uh, yeah, you completely like uh, hit the nail on the head. It's it's a whole different process when you're dealing with different clips and you're trying to mix in B-roll and you're trying to mix in voiceovers and interviews. And especially for, you know, when you're doing something that needs to be quickly turned around, like it's timely, like something like the Boston Seafood Show, it really is um, like you're on 24 hours a day. If you're not filming, you're editing. If you're not editing, you're posting. Um, and, you know, a lot of pre-planning goes into it as well too, to try to negate some of that. But at the end of the day, there's always always editing, always some loud noise in the background that you've got to fix, always huh. like a tripod that's not perfectly centered and mm-hmm. you've got to <laughs> mitigate. So it's, it's a challenge, but 
I lo- it's a challenge that I I enjoy. Like I, I enjoy the the creative aspect of it a lot. So as frustrating and time consuming as it is, I, I don't know that I would rather be doing anything else. Yeah, if you don't work or live in that space like you do and I do here, people don't realize how much work goes into something that the final product could be so short, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's nuts. Mm-hmm. But kudos, it is hard. Yeah, props to you because I feel like short form video content is just blowing up right now. Mm-hmm. And it has been for the past two years, but it's it's a lot of work to keep up with everything and post consistently and have fresh content all the time. So mm-hmm. I applaud you with all of your work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely uh it's it's a full-time job. Like I, I I work with a lot of seafood companies as well who, you know, many of them are doing social media off the side of their desk. And I I applaud that effort because it's yeah, like you said, it's time consuming. You really have to be consistent with it. You know, the level the the level of quality is always, you know, kind of changing and generally going up. And yeah, like you said, like a 30 second TikTok video does not take 30 seconds to film and post. <laughs> like it, it could be like a three hour process depending on what it is. So it's, it's very time consuming. Yeah, that's definitely a misconception across a lot of the multimedia stuff. I mean, when I'm doing podcasting here, it's like you kind of budget yourself roughly four times as as much time as it takes to listen to it, right? So <laughs> if you're doing an hour long podcast, you can plan on like the whole process taking about four hours to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's just something that we're always going to have to deal with, <laughs> especially when you work at companies where people expect you to create things, right? Yeah, of so, course. Yeah, so getting back to what you said, talking about being at the Boston Seafood Show and how you you have questions from consumers that you want to ask experts about, I am curious about what are the most common questions that you hear from and this can be from anyone, so consumers or people that are in the industry. What are people curious about, and what is like what's on their minds these days? Yeah, I think actually it's funny that you asked because uh, yesterday I actually just did a, a big video shoot with my production team, and and one of the videos that we filmed was uh, about exactly this, like responding to the number one question that I get asked all the time. And uh, is tilapia say- worse than bacon? <laughs> you know what oddly enough i've never got that one. <laughs> oh, that's a good thing they're good because we've gotten that and it's a pain in the butt to deal with <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah no sorry i didn't mean to inter- i mean i did mean to interrupt but go ahead continue <laughs> now i feel like i want to make a video on this oh you definitely should well, go- this was like a hot button thing like pre-covid years yeah, ago like, yeah go but- back and listen to our ep- our first episode on tilapia and uh, we address it we we talk about that so. okay we might have to film a another collab tiktok at, uh, at the oh Boston Show sounds up. good let's do it <laughs> sean will put on his nice shirt yeah <laughs> <laughs> my vest that i wear every day and i'm wearing today my, my gsa vest on brand i love it yeah, I, uh, yeah, we should definitely do that. But the I find the so the number one question that I'm asked these days is just more generally about farmed fish. Um, like it's funny, I, I this video idea came about because we were my boyfriend and I were at a couple of dinner events over the weekend, and at two separate events, I was talking to someone and I was explaining my job and what I do, and immediately after I explained what I did, their response was, "So, what are your thoughts on farmed fish?" And Always. That's yeah, the number one thing I'm getting asked these days, and I, I'm based in Canada as well, so I think here it's a bit of, it's a bit of a, a hot button topic. So mm-hmm. um, I get a lot in in the farm fish realm more generally about you know generally like what are my thoughts, and then I get a lot of questions about 
antibiotics and things like that. Um, I still get a lot of mercury questions as well. Uh, surprisingly, I get a lot of concerns about mercury, um, especially actually, I find the mercury conversation is kind of being revived alongside this tin fish trend. Um, like there's a bit of a a bit of a perception among some consumers that tin fish are higher in mercury. And so there might be a risk in, in eating a lot of tin fish. So I'm getting like that kind of narrative as well. Um, but generally, honestly, I find that consumers are really just wanting like a quick, what the heck do I buy at the grocery store that is healthy and sustainable? Like they just want to feel good about what they're buying. Some of them really want to get into the science. Like some of them really want to know the ins and outs of how a fish farm works and every step in the egg to plate process. And they want to go behind the scenes in a hatchery and understand the whole incubation process. Like some people absolutely want to see all of that and are super nerds about it. Other people literally just want to know, like, what do I buy? <laughs> do you think people want to get into it? Be- some Because some people, well, some people might want to get into it because they are looking for like things that they can tear down. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> how do you deal with that? Um, That's like okay. one thing. Like, I feel like I wouldn't do well being so present on social media because I wouldn't be able to deal with that kind of stuff. I'm not good at like debating, even if like <laughs> I, I understand the right, you know, the the right stuff. I, I, I'm curious how you deal with that kind of stuff, or if you well, just Sean, you would it. just push the button that says comments off. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it uh, honestly, it's definitely yeah. It takes a lot of skill or patience, I guess. I guess patience is just a muscle I've learned to work over time, but I I struggle with it all the time. I mean, yeah, you see some of these comments that are just so blatantly, like clearly, like you said, like kind of underhanded, trying to get you in like a gotcha kind of moment. And, you know, the, the, clearly the intention is pretty, um, is pretty negative. And, um, I mean, I, I publicly, <laughs> uh, I, I address it very calmly. And I always, I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt is kind of what I've realized over time. Um, I think when I started, um, not even when I started, but actually, I would say like when Seaspiracy came out, for example, I, I was very defensive and I was very like hot-headed and very like, this is ridiculous. Like, why are you even wasting my time? You know, like very much like that kind of narrative. And I had to take a step back and realize like for a lot of people, this this might be the first thing they have literally ever heard about fisheries and aquaculture. And this is the only thing that they're going off of. And so I really had to take a step back and be like, yes, there are definitely those people out there who are going to be jerks. There always are. But if I approach every single comment as someone being a jerk, like then I'm really just the jerk. And like, that's not productive. So anytime I get a comment, even if it seems like it could be a little like leading, like people are like, well, you know, what about the sea lice counts in this farm on this year? Like, I I'm like, okay, that's a question. I'm going to like, that's a fair question. Let's respond. Let's engage respectfully. I always have like, um, I have a running document also of like sources that are relevant to some of these big issues, whether it's farm salmon or like Alaska Pollock or MSC, like all these different things um, so that I can always like reference sources quickly offhand. And yeah, I just try to engage respectfully, give people the benefit of the doubt. Of the doubt. When it turns a bit like aggressive, that's when I definitely am very liberal with the block button. Um, <laughs> that's something I've mm. not shied away from recently. Like I've just decided I live my life on these platforms. I can't afford to constantly be bombarded by, you know, hateful or hurtful comments. And so if it does get a little bit offside, like I'm happy to block people as quickly as necessary. But 
yeah, I really just try to be patient and and be respectful. I mean, when I'm like alone, uh, I will definitely complain <laughs> to my <laughs> friends and to my family, mostly to my boyfriend. Poor guy gets the brunt of it. I'm always like, this is so frustrating. All of this is happening. But, you know, when you're engaging with people, I think you just really need to, again, recognize, like, I think Seaspiracy really made me step back and realize, like, for a lot of people, that is their starting point, And you can't mm. fault them for that. Mm-hmm. And you really need to just be a bit patient. Mm, meet them where they are. Exactly. Have you seen improvements in how people are interacting with your content and just seafood content generally in the past few years? Because I feel like generally the perception of seafood has become more positive in recent years. And I'm wondering if you see that in your comment sections on Mm -hmm. social media. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I I was just talking about this the other day with somebody that um, I get far less of, of those, like those rude and aggressive comments that I was mentioning. Like I get far less of those than I did when I started out. Um, and I, I think, yeah, I think generally seafood is, is getting more of a positive reputation these days. Or I think even, even for the people who don't know, I feel like they're, they're more curious to learn as I, I, that's kind of my experience is like, I, I'm realizing there's more people who are maybe a bit more open-minded or maybe a bit more like on the middle ground, like unsure, but interested and curious. Um, like when I, when I started posting about aquaculture is just always the big one for me. Again, I live in Canada. So farm salmon is like a big, a big issue. And when I first started posting about farm salmon, it, it was pretty ruthless. Uh, like it, the comments were a bloodbath. It was, it was like a very much a, a worrisome thing to, to the point where I almost like contemplated just, like pulling the plug on that whole campaign and like not getting involved at all. Um, Yeah. But I would say that was about a year and a half ago. And now I would say the majority of comments that I get on farm salmon content are very earnest, genuinely curious people who, who comment things like, Oh, like I, I didn't know that. Thank you for sharing. I had like a, a video go viral about how farm salmon get their color. And I would say the majority of comments were actually incredibly positive from people who said things like, I had no idea, like, thank you for educating me. Or I always thought this, or again, just asking like intuitive follow-up questions. And I'm finding that the comment section is a lot more productive these days and a lot less argumentative. <laughs> and that's on, on TikTok, right? Yeah, on TikTok and on Instagram. Right. I find oh, Instagram on, too? Yeah, I find on TikTok the comments can still be a bit like, I find my Instagram comments are more tame than TikTok, generally speaking. <laughs> um, but even like that that video that went viral, it was on TikTok. And I would still say, yes, there were definitely some rude and aggressive comments. The video has like thousands of comments. Though, so I couldn't even tell you like how many right, were right. positive. But um, I just, for me, it was the positive ones that stood out. Um, and so I choose to to focus on those. But it, there was definitely a lot more positive comments than I would have expected for a video about farm salmon that did reach like 400,000 people. So yeah, wow. We did get a little taste of those aggressive comments after our Seaspiracy episode dropped, mm-hmm. I will say. And that was, uh, it was enlightening to finally, <laughs> you know, you, most of the stuff that we get is people that we know and, and we get um, pretty much all positive comments. <laughs> but that, yeah, that's, uh, I can only imagine dealing with that on a regular basis. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's it's interesting. But I think, I think, Maddie, like what you're saying, I think the the trajectory is is getting more and more positive. I think there's also just generally maybe a bit more awareness about seafood too. So it's more mm-hmm. of a, yeah, it's more of a fruitful discussion I'm finding. And I think also things like the tin fish date night, like it's like regardless of what 
way seafood gets into the mainstream media, like at least people are talking about it. And I think like if you're introduced to seafood through a tin fish date night, like then that kind of opens the door for other opportunities to engage with consumers on different topics, whether it's sustainability or traceability or anything else. Um, you know, I think we all can kind of get lost down a rabbit hole uh, on social media a lot. And so maybe it, yep. you know, it starts with the tin fish date night video. And the next thing you know, you're landing on, on my page talking about how farm salmon get their color. And, you know, now you, now you become a fishery science expert after an hour of <laughs> scrolling through TikTok. So I, I feel like it could spiral in the best way for seafood. <laughs> What are some things that you feel like to keep this momentum going? Like what what can we and what should we be sharing more about on social media about seafood? And by we, I mean anybody in the seafood industry, anybody that eats seafood. Like what what do you think we should be talking more about? I think sustainability is still a massive concern for a lot of people, again, especially amongst younger consumers. Um, there have been a lot of great consumer consumer data studies done that, you know, have looked into like what consumers consider when making a purchase. And it tends to be kind of like the same three things, sustainability, health benefits, and affordability. And so I think generally, like within those three realms, touching on each of those three topics, you know, what are the nutritional benefits of your seafood? Like how, you know, how can it be accessible to somebody on a middle-class income? Maybe, you know, whether that's maybe you're not at the price point of a middle-class income, but how can you show people how to do things like utilize the whole fish to maybe make their dollar stretch a little bit further? Um, and then again, going back to that sustainability piece, like really being honest and transparent, I think really goes a long way. Um, again, I know I said it right at the beginning, but consumers are, they're hungry for this information. They want to know where their food is coming from. Like people just don't want to go to a grocery store and buy, blindly buy a, you know, a piece of flesh. They have no idea where it came from. They're really interested in the story behind the fish, behind the fisherman who caught it and his boat and, you know, how long he's been fishing and all these different things. And I think like sharing those stories, especially those human stories is so incredibly powerful. So we're going to wrap up soon because I don't want to, I don't want to go for too long. Uh, and this stuff gets, gets away from us very quickly, but you, 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 like you said it yourself, you live kind of, your life is on these platforms and uh, our, industry is so diverse, in, not just in, you know, like, we have people all around the world, obviously, but it's diverse in age as well. And I'm curious, what do you think are some of the best platforms for the seafood industry as a whole to kind of really be focusing on to try and make a difference and move the needle a little, a little bit in the way that we want to? Because that's something that this, this industry has had such a hard time with, because, you know, you look at the other proteins like chicken, beef, pork, and they have kind of a united front going towards this marketing machine but with seafood being so diverse in different species and different production methods and everything everybody has kind of always been out on their own in a lot of ways how can we start to kind of unify and use these social platforms in the best way and where do you think is the best place for us to be right now in your opinion yeah it's a tough it, question I, know. I was gonna say yeah that's a tough question and I, I wish there was an easy answer but <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think honestly, like what, because that's like, that's the number one question I get funny enough, like from the industry side is like, what platform should I be on? And I think like where you show up online is dependent on where your audience is online. Like who, who is it that you're trying to speak to? Are you, are you trying to reach young consumers like millennials, Gen Z? Like then probably TikTok is the place to be. Like, of course, there's a billion people on TikTok of all demographics, but it is primarily driven by millennials and Gen Z. And 
they really enjoy that short and spicy video content. They enjoy like, they enjoy when also companies can, this is one thing actually that I have not seen in seafood that I would love to see is seafood companies really pushing the envelope in terms of like their brand guidelines and not being afraid to get a little bit like funny or spicy on social media. Like if you've ever seen Duolingo's TikTok, yes, their, yeah, their TikTok is hilarious. And I'm just like this type of content that's funny, that's relatable to pop culture, that sometimes like roasts other companies or other people. Like if you can do it in a tasteful way, especially millennials and Gen Z, like we live for that kind of stuff. Like even on Twitter, like when Wendy's roasts McDonald's and Burger King, like people love that type of content. I'm not sure how that will manifest in the seafood industry, but I would love to see like seafood companies and organizations just like get a little bit fun with it, like make a meme or like do a TikTok dance trend. I think it would show the, like a lot of times we are addressing really heavy stuff sometimes in seafood, you know, whether we're like, I feel like we do a lot of myth busting, for example. So it's very like heavy. It's very science. It's very like, no, this is the truth. And, you know, which is obviously important, but it can be very sometimes like cut and dry. And I think it would be really funny to see some seafood companies like really get, I don't know, really get creative with their personalities online and like really build a brand persona um, that engages like millennial and Gen Z kind of humor. Maybe you should break out the fish costumes again. (laughs) (laughs) There's this one TikTok account and I think it's a law office and it's all of these like 50s and 60s white men who clearly are very intelligent lawyers and then they have this one really young intern and she's a girl in college and she makes their TikToks for them and it's hilarious because it's these older people that you wouldn't expect to be on TikTok doing these funny things and funny dances and talking about law like in an interesting way like I I'm someone that I'm I mean I'm sort Maddie's of leaving to be a lawyer in law but like i thought that that was just it's just such a funny way to engage with the platform and it's unexpected which i think makes it more exciting for people to watch yeah a hundred percent yeah it's it's true people like people love that kind of content or like you know how social media platforms like sometimes there's like inside jokes that you would only understand like if you're on tiktok like there's like trending yeah like there's a trending sound that like if you were to say that to somebody who's not on TikTok, they would have literally no idea what you're talking about. But like, if you're a brand, you can like get in on the inside joke. Like that's how you build community, right? And social media is about community. And so I think there's a real, like I have not seen any seafood brands do it. And I think there's such a big opportunity, like you said, like to do something funny and relatable, like lean into like some of, some of the things that people might like poke fun about the seafood industry and make that type of content, get in on the inside joke. Like that would be, really appealing to a younger demographic especially so listeners you heard it here first emily (laughs) doesn't see anyone doing it so let's see who can be the first one does that mean we have to do some dances at cena this year (laughs) (laughs) it's exactly what we're doing (laughs) our collab tiktok (laughs) all right whatever i have to do for the company the the salmon swing for gsa (laughs) salmon swing Awesome. Well, uh, Emily, before we kind of wrap things up, what what else do you want to get out there? You know, what is kind of the message that you want to send to our listeners? Uh, make sure that you get out on the platform while you're here. Um, I mean, I just, yeah, I guess I just want to emphasize that seafood 
Uh, seafood companies and organizations shouldn't be afraid of social media. I know we talked about, you know, how much work goes into it. And maybe that's sometimes a deterrent, but I think um, it's better to be on it than not on it. And really like social media is powerful. It's where a lot of conversations are being had these days. It's where, it's where people are making purchasing decisions, you know, like people used to talk about Google University. Now it's it's TikTok University, like people use social media platforms as a search engine. And so it can be really, really powerful to uh, to connect with consumers. And so if you're not on social media, get on it. That's my takeaway. <laughs> Amazing. And if people want to get in contact with you, uh, what is the best way to do that? And how can they find you on social media? Yeah, I am Seaside with Emily on, I think, every platform, Instagram, TikTok, uh, Twitter, and whatnot. So yeah, you can find me at Seaside with Emily. I have a website as well, seasidewithemily.com. And uh, you can yeah connect with me either through my contact form on my website or even dms i check those pretty regularly so right on maddie you have anything else i just want to thank you for coming on this has been really fun and a long time in the making so i'm glad that we were able to do this yeah thank you no just reiterate what maddie just said and and safe travels and we'll see you in boston yeah great good luck with your trip and uh we're excited to meet up in uh at cena this year yeah thanks guys i'm super glad that we had a chance to do this and i am looking forward to all the collaborative tiktoks we're going to film in boston can't wait. <laughs> Thanks, Emily. Thanks Thank so much. You. Folks, that was our conversation with Emily D'Souza. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something and I hope you will follow her on TikTok or Instagram or Twitter or wherever, whichever platform you happen to be on. Make sure you check out her page because she has lots of amazing content. Now, I want to make sure that you remember to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen. That way, every time a new episode comes out, it'll automatically be downloaded onto your device, ready to go. We are on Twitter, so follow us at Pod if you want to contact us for any reason. Fill out the online form located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. And if you love the show or if you didn't like the show, leave us a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you're listening to us on because we want to hear your feedback. That's right. And remember, if you like what we do at GSA and you want to be more involved, there are plenty of ways you can do that. One of the easiest ways is to become a member of Global Seafood Alliance. You can learn all you need to learn about that at www.globalseafood.org slash membership. Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Ciao. Bye. Bye.